0: Head to my website, simonmundy.com, or Amazon, Waterstone, Smith's, places like that, to get your copy. Hello, and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists, and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the Bite Size episodes have the power to change your life. This week's conversation is with Ben Hunt-Davis, who won Olympic gold at his third attempt in rowing after finishing way down the table in his first two goes. And what's so interesting is how he did it. And it was by focusing on what was important relentlessly, not whether he could win. Of course, it's a given that Ben and his crew wanted to win, but they couldn't control that. What they could control was boat speed. And if they worked on that, and improved it, then that gave them their best chance of getting what they really wanted. Now, the beauty of Ben's story is that it is a metaphor that's completely applicable to life. What do you really want? And then how can you put all your best efforts into what's necessary to get what you really want? And as I point out in this episode, I would argue that what we really want is actually fundamentally at the core level, the very same thing. Ben's book is called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? He also has a performance consultancy of the same name, both highly recommended. And before we get to this episode, a reminder to check out my YouTube page where I'll be putting the key lessons from this conversation as videos, just the right length and size for you to be able to digest The link to my YouTube channel is in the show notes. While you're on the YouTube channel, please do like and subscribe. And as always, I love to hear from you. Drop me a line via my website, simonmundy.com. Right, to this conversation with Ben Hunt-Davis, a pleasure to record, and I hope you enjoy listening. Ben Hunt-Davis, how lovely to see your face. How are you? (laughs)
1: Uh, Very well, Simon. Very good to speak to you again and see you again.
0: It is a real pleasure to see you. It's been a while. Now, I would say that you're one of my favorite guests from the BBC days, those Halcyon BBC days.
1: Well, I'm I'm honored. Uh I really, really enjoyed the conversation we had then. Um and I'm sure you've had far more interesting people over the years than me, but you know, but you're kind to say so.
0: <laughs> Do you know what I'm glad you said that because I've got a couple of reasons why you're one of my favorite guests. Number one, you're a good bloke and you're funny with a nice line in self-deprecating humor which you've already rolled out so nice one there number 2 the nature of your story is so different to so many other people without being rude let's say you're a bit of an also ran turned gold medal olympic gold medal winner and i think the manner in which you did it is is just so wonderful and one of the most easy to extract genuine applicable life lessons from and then thirdly as well I think that you fly in the face of so many champions, quote unquote, that I sort of speak to or that I'm aware of in, in sports or even in business or whatever it may be. Insofar as I think a lot of people are driven to the highest heights, whether it be winning an Olympic gold, um, World Cups, billion dollar business, whatever it may be. And people have this view that that will make them both happy and special. And I think that there's an illusory aspect to both of those things. It, it may make people happy for a short time. And then often, as we know, a lot of people then fall back into, oh my God, what next? Or don't have that sustained happiness. A lot of people might act like they're special, but actually at the end of the day, no one's actually special. People could do special things, but no one's actually special. And so I think you're a bit different in that, you know, you have scaled the Olympic gold mountain. Um, the lessons you've learned you know, are epic. Um, you've maintained that momentum into your career and, and you've spread it into all other areas of your life. Basically, in short, what I'm trying to say is, Ben, I think you've had your cake and you've eaten it. And I want to know what's... Why do you think you are a bit different like that, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Well, I I think I'm really, really lucky. I have had my cake and eaten it. It took a long time to make it. Well, I'm kind of making it the whole time. Um, I, I, th- I think I'm 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 so fortunate in so many ways and i think there are quite i think we hear about quite a lot of people who have done some pretty cool things and aren't happy but is that do we hear about them because it's kind of really um it kind of in ways it doesn't make sense you know you've done this thing you want why shouldn't you be happy and is it just that we don't hear so much about the people who get there and go oh that was great what's next and continue to enjoy the journey so that's kind of one reflection i've had i think because, you know, we, we, we do hear a lot about, you know, there are, you know, from all sorts of sports or businesses, as you say, they do things, they think you'll make them happy and it doesn't. But what about the other side? Okay. I don't know. Maybe maybe there are lots of us.
0: Maybe there are. In my experience, Ben, there aren't. Perhaps as well, you overlook that, that kind of, you know, the special thing. We put people on pedestals as well, you know again, quote unquote, champions, we put them on pedestal, people get treated in a certain way. And it's very hard not to fall into that trap of seeing yourself in that way. Now, I think you benefited from being in rowing and having, you know, perhaps potted along in the mid ranks for a long time or whatever. But, you know, clearly, you're you're not like that at all. But it's hard, I think, to resist that. Both of those allures of, oh, I'll be happy when X. And also, when I achieve X, then I'll also be a bit special. I think that's hard for people to not fall into
1: yeah, I, I think it is. You know, I'll be happy when it's just such a classic. I think for anybody, I, you know, when I've got my first job, I'll be happy. When I've, when I'm earning, you know, X, I'll be happy. When I'm managing people, I, I mean, I think, you know, for most of our when I'm when I finished university, when I
0: when I'm retired,
1: when I'm retired, yeah, uh, yeah. So I, th- I think there is a lot of that. I d- yeah, I do. I, I totally buy that.
0: And I do think you're interesting, and we can. We can dig into this, the happiness aspect, but also the, the humility aspect of your story. And I think some of the lessons we can take from that, because I do think it's a, it's a really important point that has become ever more obvious to me over the course of having all these conversations and having worked in sport on the side that I work in for, for so many years. So we can come back to that. But we've got to revisit your story, first things first, because it's an absolute cracker Let's start by um, with with this question, which is, did you get into rowing? And I've been doing a bit of uh, research uh, in the shadows, okay? Did you get into rowing <laughs> because you couldn't catch?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got into rowing because I couldn't catch, I couldn't throw, I couldn't hit balls. And, you know, standing on a cricket pitch, waiting for someone to chuck a ball at you, knowing you're going to miss it or drop it or... Someone's going to hit. I mean, it's just, I hated it. I hated it. Football. I mean, I was so uncoordinated. Rugby was all right because as a second row, you know, the only position I've ever played in 10 years of playing rugby was second row where, you know, when I was playing, so long as you were willing to get stuck in, you didn't need many skills. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so I was looking for another sport that didn't involve missing or dropping balls and that was rowing
0: and that was rowing what did you love about rowing
1: so the team thing the team thing i like
0: it's a Right, a team thing. Yeah, because I was going to say, it's a brutal sport, isn't it? You've got to get up early. You're always facing the wrong way and it's hard work. <laughs> I get it. I It's very satisfying. I've been on the ERG. I used to love going on the ERG or rather I used to love finishing being yeah. on the ERG. Um, you know, there is something very satisfying about it, but it's also punishing.
1: So, so so, firstly, when you're doing it at school or at university, it's not necessarily early mornings because you've got time. Ah. You need know, to do it after school. You're doing it. Right. I think it's when you're trying to work full time Andro, then it's really early, right. but at school, yeah, you know, we did afternoon games. We um, and yeah, we trained harder than, and we took pride in the fact that we trained harder than anyone else in the school. It was a sport for those who were happy to work harder, right? Um, and and so I enjoyed that, and then being out on the river, you know, it's just a nice is, place to be. That is, it's a nice um, place to be. yeah, that,
0: that is nice.
1: It's it's, and then you you know, going and racing and. You know, at school, I did all right. We won we won quite a lot of stuff while I was at school. And and that's fun.
0: Yeah, okay. So,
1: you know, <laughs> at school, the school rowing was pretty... I mean, I had some big disappointment. There were some races I wanted to win that I didn't. But at school, generally, I won a fair bit of stuff. And it was then when I got into the actual team that that stopped.
0: Okay. Before we dive into that, Ben, just want a quick one. And just a quick answer on this. Were there moments of... I talk about flow a lot. That kind of sense of you know losing track of time, losing track of yourself. Did you experience that when you were rowing? Yeah. Okay. Lovely. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Yeah, you get in the moment, and it's just you know things happen the way they should happen. The boat feels amazing, and you the 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 kind of meters, the miles are going past, and it's it's great.
0: Right. Beautiful. Okay. So you were. Selected by the GB elite yep. setup, right, and I think I remember from our last chat you'd said, around the time that you were selected, they'd started winning medals for fun, and so when you came in, did you envisage a medal packed few years laying out ahead of you, thinking, "Oh my God, here I'm going to be you know decorated, have not enough room for the medals swinging round my neck? Was that your what you believed? Yeah,
1: it was something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so um, my the kind of when I did um, when I was 18, I went to the junior world championships and, you know, the team came away with gold, a silver, and a bronze, and I came fourth. In the trials and selection, I did really well. The, the next year in the under-23s, I actually got a silver medal and was kind of disappointed because we should have won it. But, and then, you know, went into the Olympic team and, you know, looking back over the previous years, there were the perennial world champions being Ray Grave and Pinson. And then there were lots of other people who were getting silvers and bronzes at the world championships. And then at the Barcelona Olympics, you know, my best mate who I did the juniors with, Greg Searle, he got a gold medal on, you know, the first day of the finals. i go, what? And Greg was clearly really special. He was clearly really good. But, you know, if you could do it, why couldn't I? And it just didn't happen like that.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> it, it didn't happen like that. But but here's the beauty, though, isn't it? I'm sure all through all the years of toil and disappointment, you were cursing your luck and all this kind of stuff. But now you must be able to look back and think, I'm blessed that it happened that way. Because, yes, it, it, you may have had those difficult years. But you've okay you first of all you came away with your gold we don't know how you'd feel if that hadn't happened but you did come away with your gold. I've given the game away early but you did but you came away with these rich lessons that have formed the rest of your life so it was a good thing that you didn't win like that
1: yeah yeah you can keep telling me that yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know the me did the, the what's the old thing you know you can take your horse to water but you can't make a drink I, I, I was ready to learn at a certain point and you know, maybe most people are ready to learn a bit sooner when they realize that things aren't working out. It took me a long time to figure stuff out. But, you know, it means the journey that I went on, what I learned, was really special. You know, I still would have loved to have, you know, won a bit more stuff. You know, in, in, in the kind of proper national team, in uh, nine years of racing, I happened to win three races, and that is all. <laughs> it's not it's not a great record.
0: Yeah, but you um, won. You won the one that counts. You, they, you, they were
1: the last three. They were the last three
0: races. Well, they. I mean, this is this is movie stuff, Ben, or at least some you know TV yeah, series. I'm
1: sure, yeah.
0: uh, honestly, I, I'm convinced of it. So, okay, let's pick up some of your um, most memorable races then. So, obviously, with, with a sport like rowing, the Olympics is the pinnacle. Yeah, everyone's dialed in. Everyone gets excited. It's a bit like curling, isn't it? With the, with the Winter Olympics, and everyone becomes rowing fanatics. Yeah. And uh, so 1992, Barcelona, I remember Barcelona, Freddie Mercury, do you remember? What a fantastic anthem that was. Um, So the Barcelona Olympics was your first one and you came seventh, correct? Sixth. Sixth. Oh, sorry, I'm doing you down.
1: Last in the final, sixth. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. And I know that was a gutter. Yeah. Yeah. And then... But you doubled down, though, didn't you? And you worked your ass off thereafter with a view to Atlanta in 96.
1: Yeah. And so Barcelona was really, I mean, I was gutted. But it was my first year in the national team. Things could only get better. (laughs) (laughs) And then for the next four years, I worked my ass off. I poured my heart and soul into rowing. And having come sixth in Barcelona, I came eighth in Atlanta. You know, those four (laughs) years were good. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh amazing and so a lot of people say you know hard work is is the be all and end all and obviously you can't get far without hard work but actually you proved that that adage isn't quite accurate because there are a lot of people out there who work hard in whatever yeah. area yeah but actually if you're not doing the right stuff you could be digging a, a trench in the wrong place
1: yeah exactly so, so yeah hard work is you know, you need hard work to do things, but it's not—it's not the ingredient. It is one of the things. And you know, those four years, I worked—I worked really hard, I, I, and I worked hard doing a program. The same, I did the same stuff as Ray Graves and Pincer. and they in those four years they won everything, yeah. and in those four years I lost everything. <laughs> and I not. so, you know, I—it was clearly a program that worked if you're good enough right but for for, you know for for me and others it just you know no matter how hard we worked on a great program it wasn't great for
0: us okay so basically it was redgrave and pinson's program and we're all different and so you you needed to find something that would work for you
1: yeah basically i mean if if yeah that they could do things a certain way because they were good enough and they had the skills and all sorts of different abilities and stuff. And, you know, for those who didn't have that, it just wasn't it wasn't the right thing.
0: Okay. Before we dig into what you were doing, um, let's just quickly touch on Atlanta. So I mentioned 92 and Freddie and what a great Olympics that was. Um, but Atlanta 96, a bit of a weird one, wasn't it, really? Um, I don't know what your experience of it was. First of all, Team GB, the only medal, the only gold they won was was Redgrave and Pinson, wasn't it, I think?
1: So yeah, it was it was a weird one, but so it's Britain's only gold medal, Ray Gravenpensan, and, and and it was interesting because so I remember um, Ray Pinson's final was kind of prime time viewing back in the UK, kind of Saturday afternoon or whatever it was, and something like three million people watched it. When they did Celebrity Gladiators at the end of the year, ten million watched. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a good program. Come on,
1: <laughs> and and I think that um, and you know there lots of things kind of a behind it you know britain uh, well at the time you know whenever you open the newspaper it was all about oh you know why are the aussies so good and why are we so bad and british sport was generally on a massive downer. yeah
0: uh,
1: and there were a number of reasons for it. funding was one of the big things actually yeah you know the aussies had the is the germans all worked for the civil service the french worked for edf and the italians put on a uniform once a year and everybody had different funding models sorted out and we had nothing yeah. It was before, and then, and that is what caused the national lottery sure. to fund sport.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. And then, just in terms of your own personal experience, so you know, when you finished a couple of places lower, I mean, I know that you were close to. You had been thinking you'd walk away if you had a miserable time, which you did, and there were some tears, I believe, as well afterwards. But yet there was this sort of moment of, well, okay, some Russian walk past. And you're like, hang on a sec, How, it, he's not better than me. And and that sort of stopped you. So can you just recollect that moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had the run up to the Atlanta Olympics was horrible. We weren't, I mean, it was clear we weren't fast. We were just really struggling as a crew. Things, it just wasn't good. And um, and I was kind of thinking, if this doesn't, if we don't, if we don't do well, I can't go through this again. It's been too it's been too crap. I can't do it again. And the Russians actually knocked us out. They, they got into the final and we didn't. They were about three feet ahead of us. Um, and the Italians about a foot behind us. And the Russians made the final we didn't. And I remember there was a kind of meet and greet area, somewhere near the boat area. And I was having a good cry on my mum's shoulder. And saw a whole load of the Russians walking past who had just beaten us and and they, they end up being a little bit bronzemetless and looking at them going that they're, they're not that different I mean really what's I can't see the difference between them and me and if they can do it then you know why the hell I can't I and I just wasn't I was gutted but I wasn't ready to quit I wasn't ready to admit defeat admit that I couldn't do
0: it no but it and your Eureka moment when everything changed, I mean, it didn't happen for a couple of years. I know. So I think it was, so, okay. Yeah, I had not, another two years another, of doing the same thing. Another was two great. years of doing the same thing and getting the same results, still finishing, you know, mid to low mid table. And then, so you were in Cologne in 97, right? And you went out on uh,
1: 98. The, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. In
0: 98. You went out on the two slung a few back and had this Eureka moment. Now, Look, I know from experience that I come up with some pretty good ideas when I've slung a few down, but they rarely stick, right? So <laughs> can you just just describe that Eureka moment and then how did it manage to become something that has led even to this conversation now so many years down the track?
1: So so we 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 didn't make the final. We ended up racing in the B final, the small final, the petit final, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same. Um, And we won that and we were gutted absolutely gutted we thought we were far we were faster that year and we we came away with nothing and we went out to the rowing party that night we went to all sorts of places just utterly fed up dejected pissed off angry and a number of us have shown we can't do this again we cannot lose like this again it's totally i just can't, i can't I, I, I really can't do it and and, and actually, our crew coach, a guy called Martin McElroy, had been, um, it was the second year he'd coached the eight. Um, second year he'd coached the national team. He was kind of really new into coaching. And that year, he'd been trying to get us to change. He'd been trying to get us to do, do stuff differently. But me, along with others, have been going, no, no, Jürgen, you know, let's keep doing what we've done before. Clearly, it works for Reg Raven-Pinson. Let's keep doing that. And because I'm sure it'll work. And Martin would be going, uh, no, you've got to actually start looking at stuff differently. And finally getting another good kick in the balls, losing again. The kind of moment <laughs> was going, he might have something. Maybe there is something about doing, you know, maybe we can try something different. Because even if we change, or rather if we change and we do worse, frankly, who cares? Really, at this point, we can't. we can't do any worse. So the moment was not right. um, great ideas and insight. The, the the moment was we have to do something differently. Things have to change rather right. than coming up with the specifics around what had to change. We were some way from that.
0: Gotcha. So it was born out of desperation. It was born out of
1: desperation and having nothing to lose, frankly.
0: And, and having nothing to lose. Because for a lot of other people who perhaps could also, in any area of life, could also do with doing things differently. And that's, you know, the vast majority of people in at least in well, several areas of their life. But there's that thing, isn't there, the sunken cost fallacy where, you know, when you put so much time into something yeah. that actually changing tack can feel unbearable, really. But that wasn't the case for you.
1: No. No. So and and um you know so we came back willing to change. We came back um Yeah, we had nothing to lose, which kind of makes it easier. But it's still hard to change sometimes. We were part of a really successful system. We could look at, you know, we could look back at every single year I'd been in the team and the team, people in the team had been winning medals. And so clearly it was a successful system, just not successful for us. And if the whole system was rubbish, then it's kind of, you know, nothing's working. Then you, it might be easier to change. Okay. But when you're in this thing and going, it pumps out the medals every single year. It's clearly good. It just doesn't work for us. It's a bit harder.
0: What had you been doing wrong then, if you had to drill down into the minutiae?
1: So uh, Jürgen's program that was so successful was basically built on building the engine. If you got, you know, if you can build the engine, they, you know, build your physiology. Then the technique, that'll kind of come at the end. And his crews were amongst the strongest in the world and technically not necessarily the best. Now, Steve Redgrave has got an incredible feel for a boat. just that kind of innate sense of rhythm. And, you know, because most sports is about rhythm and timing, how you hit a ball, it's about rhythm and timing. And Steve just has that in bucket loads naturally. And so if he wasn't technically the most polished, she had this innate sense of rhythm and being in the boat. And so Jürgen built a program on physicality and then relied on a few people having this rhythm, sense of rhythm, which kind of missed out. One of the big levers you can pull in a rowing boat is actually technically how precise you are. And for people like me, we just weren't physically strong enough to not be technically world-class. And essentially, we came away going, You know, we need to continue to work physically hard. We need to continue to try and improve our physicality. But from being very average technically, what we need to do is we need to be technically the best in the world. And that's within our gift. That's something that, you know, so so it's moving from hard work will do it to going, no, no. Hard work and precision. Absolute precision to being, say, wanting to be technically the best, most precise career in the world. That's what we had to do.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, the thing is, right. So, so this, this is 98 when you've had your Eureka moment and it's still, it's only two years until the next Olympics, Sydney, That that's not a long time, particularly when you've been doing what you've been doing for eight years. So was there not at all, I mean, you've already taken apart this fact you had nothing to lose, but was there not a sense of, gosh, do we have time to learn all this stuff to break down, you know, the, the key component parts to, to rhythm and flow and stroke and technique. Was there any concern there? Did you have any concerns about whether or not that was doable in that time frame?
1: So some people did have concerns and some people didn't want to come on the journey.
0: <clears throat> um, other, I mean, the majority
1: of us thought that, yeah, so Olympic qualifying was um, 10 months away, the Olympics, 24 months away. Time was time was shy, so we had to you know we had to get on with it. But we if we didn't <clears throat> if we didn't change, you know we might qualify, but we sure as hell wouldn't do well at the Olympics. So yeah, time was a concern. We were up against it. So we had to be we had to be totally honest. We had to make sure that our we at the alignment within the group. And you know nine of us would end up racing, but there were 30 or so people in the group. 16 training together most of the time and that group changed we had you know all the support staff about 70 people in total we needed alignment we needed to actually get better at making decisions we needed to get better at communicating what we were trying to do we we worked on emotional intelligence to try and make sure that we could become you know we could communicate more effectively we could understand each other, each other better as a team and a wider group so that we could learn faster.
0: how did you do that then how did you do that? How did you work, for example, on emotional intelligence?
1: So uh, Daniel Goldman's book, uh, Emotional Intelligence, I think is what it's called. was the first kind of book on it. It
0: is. He's been on the pod. He's fantastic. What a book. Yeah. Uh,
1: I think he wrote it in 98. Yeah. We read it. We, we read it in 99. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, uh, Chris Shambrook, our sports psych, had a, a huge, huge, huge impact in trying to help us develop a learning culture where we could communicate better. We could take ego out of it as much as possible. We could, you know, we could learn together because that's what we needed to do. Right.
0: And you've spoken about like learning better. So what did you learn about how to learn better? Because we, in this day and age, we all need to learn at warp speed, don't we? Because things are changing so far. So what what nuggets could you share about that?
1: So, I mean, there's firstly, the bit about being open-minded and willing to learn rather than going, no, no, I know best. I've done this before. uh it's quite incredible, my fifteen-year-old son. I mean, he is just the best in the world at everything. It's quite amazing. His ability to listen and learn is kind of about zero. Um, and and so many of us get to a point where we're just not willing to change. We're not willing to see things differently, we're not willing to try different things, we're not willing to look at what we've done and go, huh, what with that, what what worked and what didn't work. How do I do it better tomorrow? We just kind of through stubbornness, bloody mindedness, habit, I don't know. We just do what we've done before. And having a a mindset where we were willing to look at stuff and go, right, actually how did we, how did I do? Let's really kind of get, you know, get under the skin and go, what well, you know, if if I didn't manage to persuade you about this thing we should be doing, then what have I got to do differently? How do I change my persuasion skills so I can actually get my way tomorrow?
0: Yeah. What you said about your son, I mean, I mean, which teenager isn't like that? But so many people do get to that point, I think, of, um, you know, it's like, this is, this is just me. It's just the way I am.
1: It's just me. It's just the way I am.
0: But actually, you know, without getting too deep and philosophical about it, I mean, look at something like Buddhism. It says, there is nothing fixed there. We're all, everything's always changing. Our body's changing. Our thoughts are changing. Our feelings are changing. Everything's changing. So there's no reason why we should even think anything is fixed and stuck.
1: And, and you know, the fact is over time, ta- well, over time, most of us do change because we just get impacted with various different stuff. But why not make conscious decisions to go, well, you know, today was today. And, you know, today was, you know, good or not so good or whatever. How do I make sure tomorrow is a bit better? I mean, you know, if before I've responded in by getting really frustrated about this, I mean, is that really making me happy? Does it mean I can get into bed at the end of the day and go, I've had a good day because I'm really pissed off about the tube journey into work? I mean, maybe I just need to deal with the tube journey differently. It's it's not how I was born. I've learned it so I can learn something different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All of our behaviors and patterns and stuff, a condition to some degree, whether through family or whatever, or through what we're bombarded with day by day. But, and and what you said there about happiness is interesting because, so this brings me back to, right, the title of your book and also what you're sort of known for, that, that key question, will it make the boat go faster? So this is the thing that you came back to time and time again, will it make the boat go faster? This question to ask yourself, whether it be in your private life, your emotional intelligence, whatever it may be, came back to this, this to this question, right? So first of all, had you not been focusing on boat speed before, because I know boat speed was the thing. You, you've established that okay, you can't control whether you'll win, but you can control the key factor that will give you the best chance of winning, which is boat speed. So had you not been thinking about boat speed before?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's pretty stupid, isn't it? Um, so before, yeah, clearly we've been focusing on boat speed and I was desperate to win. But that doesn't mean that everything I did was aligned to it. Because I would um, go, right, so i got to do 20 kilometers in my single sculling boat in the A on the rowing machine. Right, I know what I'm going to do. Let me switch off and just go and, you know, work really hard. Yeah, that's just not actually, you know, not thinking about what I'm going to do. That's not making the boat go faster. Or just, you know, getting into an ego-driven Debate about going, you know, I'm not going to do that because I'm right, and you're going, you know. So, how I feel today, what my ego is telling me today, is that really more important than boat speed? Because that's the decision we make quite often. Quite often, we go, I, w- I would rather be right than speak to my parent again, or I'd rather be right, than actually, win a race, or I'd rather be right than happy, yeah, than happy. So, 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 you know, the goal bit is, you know. Of- course we were trying to make the boat go faster we just weren't actually necessarily stopping and looking at it and questioning and then doing the stuff that would make the boat go faster instead we were i being bloody minded and just going i'll work a bit harder because that's always a good thing to do
0: yeah okay so this will it make the boat go faster you started to really break it down into all these areas you mentioned emotional intelligence i mean how many Roughly areas were there that you could look at? And was it not a bit overwhelming? Even going into the emotional intelligence field, is there not almost an exponential, infinite number of things you could do?
1: Yeah, there is. There is. And the more, the better you get at the whole thing, the more detailed you get. So, and this is where we kind of talked also about having a performance mindset. So rather than just focusing on, the result going how well are we doing what we're doing so um you know for most of us now we can have a conversation or a meeting and we can either tick a box going i i went to the meeting or it was a good meeting but if we're going to go well actually you know why was it good or you know what was the question that actually really opened up the conversation or what was the challenge that you know enabled somebody to think differently you, know, you just kind of get to kind of different levels where you get, you then have an infinite number of possibilities. So, 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 we kind of try to go, well, you know, let's try and work out what loads and loads of the granular kind of ingredients are, and then go, so this this month, what are we going to focus on? And that might be one or two physical things. It might be one or two technical things. It might be one or two communication things. It might be one attitude thing because that's, that's really hard. So, You know, being aware of all the ingredients out there, but then being willing to narrow down and go, right, I'm just going to focus on these ones for the time being. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get fifteen percent off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
0: So you had your desperation eureka moment in ninety-eight, and then I know from speaking to you before that it wasn't until your first regatta, so your first race, next year, like, what was it, May 99?
1: I think it was in May, yeah, May 99, yeah.
0: May 99, where you're in Belgium, and you're doing what you're talking about there. You're focusing on one thing, and you've already mentioned it, so rhythm. So it's just like focusing on the rhythm. yeah. yeah. And you weren't even thinking, okay, like, we want to win, so you're totally in the moment, getting the rhythm right, getting the rhythm right, cross the line, wander off, and were completely oblivious even to the fact that you'd finished second. So, first of all, that I think that speaks to you know losing yourself as we alluded, as I touched on earlier, like losing yourself in the moment of the race. But secondly, as well, that gave you I know some reassurance that you were doing the right things. Prior to that, was there still doubt, or was that the key moment?
1: You know, there were bits of doubt the whole way along. I mean, there always are, you know. Yeah. Um But 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 there were all sorts of moments. We had where we, so, so that race you spoke about was a really important moment of going. Oh my god, this is this is working. But there had been kind of various other different things. Um, uh, actually, we changed so physically, we saw some improvements quite quickly by doing some training differently. Um, so that was that was kind of really important. We saw some stuff on the water where, you know, for trials in the UK. We got, you know, some people were getting some pretty good results from the group. So there were, and then also one of the things we do is we, we did is we track progress of just going, you know, rather than just always looking at the next thing, well, I've got to win this next. We, we, we kind of kept coming back and going, so, so what progress have we made? Not necessarily what results, but what progress, what's worked. Where have we improved this week? Where have we gained? Where have we... Uh, and, you know, that ranged, from, uh, we, we did a pretty good jack, uh, pretty good job of keeping track of all sorts of different things, um, from, uh, you know, false time cuts through to quality of conversations, through to quality of decisions, through to, yeah, schools on the row machine, through. So we weren't at the standard we needed to be at, but we were further ahead than we were how many months before. So just tracking progress, I think, is important.
0: Okay, that's really interesting as well. And so so is it fair then to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you were therefore less looking to the future? You were still looking to the future, but you were, how are we doing now? And what have we learned today compared to yesterday, rather than, oh my God, what we got coming up next week? The reason I ask that is because I think that's how so many of us live. We're always in a rush. We're always, I've got to get this thing out of the way just because I've got this other thing coming up. And then when that thing comes up, that's rushed through as well. And there's that old saying, you know, eventually you die having never lived by living in that way. So it sounds like that's a bit of a metaphor for, for yeah. the way so many people live their lives.
1: I, I think it is. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wonder how much of my time I'm doing that now. Um, you know, so, so, so so you know, we had this goal of, we you know, we wanted to win. But then in order to do it, we had to focus on what we were doing right now. You know, rather than just focus on the next result, we had to go, But actually, how well am I doing stuff? Which means you've got to be more in the moment. Which means you've got to, Mm. you know, be clear, in this next conversation, what are the things I'm going to, I want to do really well? Or, you know, if, you know, no matter what the goal, if the goal is to be able to switch out, you'll be lights at night and go, I've had a great day. Then you've actually got to be going, what's going to give, what, you know, what are the experiences? What are the things around me that are going to give me a great day? And... And then I think just to help, you know, we know stuff doesn't always work perfectly. We know, you know, you don't get these linear improvement cuts. They're just reflecting and going, but this was good and this was good and this was good, rather than this wasn't good.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Are really important parts of it.
0: Absolutely. We'll come back to that again. But I think that whole rushing thing, I'm the same. You, You said that's something you do now. Like I catch myself all the time, you know, rushing to cook to get to the meal and then rushing through the meal. and But actually, when I catch myself, the more you're not rushing through stuff, whatever it may be, brushing your teeth, cooking, literally anything. First of all, the quality of whatever you're doing improves, but actually then there's enjoyment to be had in any moment. If we get out of this next moment, next moment, next moment, next moment mindset, and as well, it can improve the performance. And you're proof of that.
1: Yeah, or, or whether it's just next big thing, next big thing, next big thing,
0: next big thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because I think that there are, you know, between the big things, there should be all sorts of moments of enjoyment, satisfaction, pride. Yeah, there should be all sorts of small things, from seeing a kingfisher on the river. I mean, that was, you know, when you see one of those, when I mean, it's just beautiful. You know, hearing a bird take off in front of you, which you can't see, but you can hear the way it lands on the water, and go, "Oh, that's a coot rather than a moorhead because they sound different. Uh, just having a bit of enjoyment from that, or just you know, within the working day when you go, "Oh my god, I'm working on this project," but actually, you know, the bit of collaboration I did, you know, the kind of brainstorm I did with you know this colleague to get to this was actually really it was a really rewarding bit of work. And it's not going to change the world, but actually, it's just. It was, you know, worth doing. It was good. It was nice.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a lovely point about it's it's the big things. You know, we're so fixated on the big things, aren't we? And I'll come back to what you touched on there. And I love that that you're able to tell the difference between birds. That gratitude for those small magical little things that are all around us. I mean, I've got a, a new baby daughter, and obviously everything's magical once, and then we sort of become a bit immune to it. But I think we can push back against that but so we'll come to that but we've got to finish your story so there you go you you started doing well uh, as we already know you do win win gold but um just quickly in terms of sydney and I, and I feel bad saying just quickly because obviously it's it's a pretty big moment in your story but there you were um the, the race is quality because the commentators are all like even when you're miles ahead yeah they're not going to win they're not going to win yeah and you did <laughs> which is quite amusing and then and then obviously you did and you got your gold medal and then strode off into the sunset, taking these lessons forward into every other area of your life. So it was a... Uh, it
1: was a good day at the office.
0: <laughs> it was a good day, right? But that was a good big thing.
1: That was a good big thing. Yeah, it was. It, you, know, it was you know, it was kind of 10 years, culmination of 10 years effort. It was a very big thing. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the way the race worked, it worked exactly the way we planned it. It worked really, really well. We, we'd worked so incredibly hard and carefully for the two years leading up to it to be able to do it right on the day it was fantastic and you know it's a day I'm really proud of and I was very clear from you know right then that that I wasn't going to look back at that and go oh, that was the best day of my life I mean that's pretty sad I mean I was 28 or when people go on oh, my school days they were the best days ever you go holy shit you're 50 now I mean really um it was a fantastic day I'm you know, it's a day beyond compare, and there are lots of other things that I want to that have enjoyed and be proud of and get some enjoyment from. Of
0: course, it was a magical day, but it was still just a day.
1: Yeah, it, it was. It was a it was a massive day. There have been few other days that you prepare for like that. There are a few other days where I'm a sick. You know, every morning for, you know, how many weeks before because I'm so nervous about it. There are a few days like that. There are a few days where you totally lay it out, and the outcome is really unknown and it has such a huge impact
0: yeah beautiful and it was obviously that much richer because of uh you know what had gone before and just verification that those changes that you'd made were so worth it
1: yeah we as a group had come together to do something kind of that other people thought we couldn't do people had you know mocked and scorned us a certain amount like, okay oh, you're doing it wrong and beforehand i thought i'd get loads of satisfaction from being able to you know stick two fingers up and afterwards i felt i didn't need to so i never i never stuck started tv i just didn't need to anymore it was fine <laughs>
0: yeah nice nice okay at that point or within let's say a few months of that was it was it quickly clear to you that the lessons you'd learned in transforming yourself And the rest of your team into these gold medal winners would end up informing the rest of your working life
1: um so so while i was going through the change while we were rowing i was thinking this stuff is actually pretty damn good it's working it's you know we have just changed as people we we are we have changed and we're changing and it's pretty good and i was while i didn't want to think about what i was going to do post olympics you kind of got a bit of it going on, and I was thinking, you know, sharing this stuff with other people would be good. I was thinking maybe and would go out to the Lake District and become an outward bound instructor because that's a way of kind of doing that kind of lessons and stuff. And frankly, my wife is never going to live anywhere outside London, so that was into that idea. Um, but I so I had an idea that doing something with it and I didn't quite know what, and actually, it took me a bit of time to work out what the key lessons from it were because what I thought you know worked in sport would work in life and and, you know there are some bits that do work and there are some bits that don't work so well so it took me a bit of time to figure it out but i guess beforehand i thought you know there's some good stuff here and i'd like to do something with it
0: okay if you had to summarize just briefly what are the key bits then
1: um so so one is is the will it make the boat go faster question really about having you know, having clarity of direction and then aligning behind it. So just having the goal of going, oh, I? I would love to win and then lying on the sofa. Or, or you know, oh, I'd love to, you know, be happier and then grumbling about everything. So there's kind of the goal and the alignment behind it. So there's that whole question. I think for me the kind of performance-type mindset, which is about learning, which is about improvement, it's about that as a totally fundamental bit. And then then I think there are loads of other things. So, yeah, know, there are bits about backability and there are bits about yeah, there are all sorts of other bits, but I think the two most important bits, really, the that will have made the boat go faster question and the performance mindset.
0: Right. So in terms of that question, then, will it make the boat go faster? Now, it's sort of entered sporting folklore, but and you now still use the same terminology. I know when you talk about you've got different boats, you've got your family, you've got your business, you've got your your marriage, you've got your your health, whatever it may be. I know you've got your Henley regatta. Yeah. So that then shows that this question, will it make the boat go faster? You could strip away all those words, couldn't you? And what is underneath that question? It's just like, okay, what do you really want? Is that, that's basically
1: it? Yeah, I think it's really about what I'm doing, how I'm behaving, how I'm spending my time. Is it helping me get what I want?
0: Right. And I would argue that ultimately what we all want Whether we know it or not, is to feel happy. We don't want to suffer, obviously. And so those two go hand in hand to feel a sense of fulfillment, to feel a sense of purpose. And as you said, you know, you've touched on it a couple of times, you know, be able to go to bed at night and feel, yeah, do you know what? This is good, this life, Lark. That's fundamentally, and it will come in different shapes and sizes for everyone because we're all different and we're conditioned different and we're, you know, we've got different skills and attributes and traits and talents and whatever else. But fundamentally, that's what we all want. Would you go along with that or not?
1: Yes. Some people, I think, maybe don't think they have a choice or they just do the stuff that's in front of them or are kind of ground down or beaten down by life, or but they don't think about it. But yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it's those things that... You know what uh, Maslow and his hierarchy of needs talked about. You know, or was it self-fulfillment at to the top? I mean, I think that's exactly what most people at the harder parts do want. They just don't necessarily think about it.
0: No, and I remember actually mentioning this to um, to my dad. I wasn't going to name him, but I will. And he's like, I'm, I said, look, fundamentally, what this is what we all want underneath it all, whether we realize. It. And he said, No, I don't think so. I think you know, some people want to be rich, some people want to be powerful, some people want to be X, Y, Z, and I and I was like, Well. Why do you think they want that? But so many people are, are unaware of that. But it just bringing awareness to this idea that this is what we want, but it's not going to just happen of its own accord, that actually we've got to do what you did and question things in order to get everything, all our ducks in a row, to get this, what we want, which is fundamentally happiness, fulfilment, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've, we've got to be, you know, an ego. Yeah, i mentioned earlier ego takes wanting to be right rather than wanting to get on with your partner wanting to be right rather speak to your parents again wanting to be right rather than change you know i mean it stops us doing so much stuff it's ridiculous it's totally nuts and if most of us i think we're just be clear about going in if what i'm about to do is it gonna is it gonna bring me happiness and fulfillment and happiness doesn't necessarily need you know, we can't be happy every moment of the day. That That's not what it's about. No, And just, you know, people who are always saying, well, I'm not happy, but, you know, and, and they expect every moment to be joyful and happy. I think that's kind of optimistic. But I think, you know, life has yeah. got its ups and downs. Each day has got its ups and downs. But kind of, yeah, the overarching sense of kind of fulfillment, happiness, well-being.
0: Yeah, well-being. In a peace. That
1: if that's our know. goal, then we would, I think a lot of people would make very different decisions.
0: Now, obviously, when it came to your rowing, as you said, you always had that goal of boat speed and of and of winning, but yet you were somewhat mindless in some of the things that you were doing. And now, obviously, you've got, as I said, all these quote unquote, different boats, you've got your relationship, your business, etc. So how do you then Take what we've just said, which is that, okay, fundamentally, we want to be happy. And then that comes down into these different areas of the work we do, relationships, health, whatever. How then do you take that top line of like, okay, the ultimate goal and break it down then into, okay, how do I make sure I'm not being mindless in in my relationship, in my business, with my health, etc.? How do you bridge that gap?
1: So there's a kind of layered goals approach that is people in you know we use different terminology for it all. So so so, so my view is I'd go right well, at the top. You got you know if the crazy goal is fulfillment, happiness, or whatever, and then go how will you know? What what are some measures? What are some you know what are some measures that let you know you're on track? And then you go okay. So what are the key areas of, of things that you need to focus on in order to get there? So if it's overall you know fulfillment and happiness you might go well that's work that's family that's kind of self it's community it's you might kind of come up with all sorts of different things and then in each of those areas you go okay so what are the what are the key areas to focus on what are the ingredients what are the things that go into that so i think you've got to be able to break it down into into various different layers because purpose fulfillment isn't something you can just put on your to-do list but but if you've gone well actually I'll know that I'm feeling fulfilled when, you know, with a few areas and then that's actually, you know, relates to, let's say, you know, blah, 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 then you can go. So at work, actually, you know, one of the things that will, you know, make me feel good is being able to make a difference to other people's lives, being able to actually help and support my colleagues. And if I feel as though I'm, you know, making life easier for them, then that will give me a sense of purpose and fulfillment. Okay. So then, you know, you can put on your to-do list, you know, helping colleagues or something. So I think you've got to be able to kind of break it from the big picture down into manageable steps and it's quite actually doing that I think is quite hard. It it takes a certain amount of head scratching and sitting in a dark room or talking through it with somebody but you've got to be able to break it down to activities or attitudes you know because you might end up with you know saying going right today I just want to actually you know, be more positive about various things, and I can do that by I can do that by using the word fortunately. When something goes wrong, I can go, oh, well, fortunately, that means that I can, and you've got to make up something, and that's down kind of at the granular level where you can go, yeah, I actually used fortunately three times today. Um, so something I had a few years ago when I was, you know, sometimes life's kind of, you know, you've, you've got shed loads on, you're busy, it's not, things aren't that easy, and I, I had a thing where whenever I walked through a door, A doorway it was a kind of trigger to smile because i was just going i'm not actually smiling enough and you you know walk into a room and you kind of you you force yourself to smile and actually it just has a it just has an impact And, and so that you know being happy you go oh my god how do i do that well actually every time you walk through a doorway if you force yourself to smile a bit you know it's a silly little thing that actually makes a bit of a difference There are so many ways of breaking it down and getting granular. So you can go, if I behave like this, if I say this, if I do this, it will help me be yeah, happy, fulfilled. Yeah. Whatever.
0: All that stuff. Which, as you said, is potentially a bit difficult to quantify, let's say, on a spreadsheet. But at the end of the day, we know how we feel. So you mentioned about little granular things. My wife did something really interesting during COVID that it was really impactful to just witness, which was so, she's quite naturally um, sunny disposition anyway, but then she started a gratitude diary, literally, I think probably a week or two before lockdown. And it wasn't to do with COVID. It was just, you know, something she decided to do. And at the start, she was really struggling to fill the pages. And then I I spoke to her about it and she just got so good at filling these pages And this is a small little habit, but they've had such a big, profound effect. And I remember one that really stuck in my mind was she told me about how she'd gone into the kitchen one morning when we're all in lockdown and it was just the way that the light was coming in the window. And she's like, "Ah," and because I think she was in this trying to keep her eye out for things to be grateful for, suddenly she's just in this place where she was just noticing so many more things that she could be grateful for. And it's now become sort of habitual. And I remember you talking about the, you know, reticular activating system when we spoke about last time. You want to buy a red car, you spot a red car more. And so it's getting that thing to work for you. And I think how gratitude has impacted her has been such an inspiration to me. So that's one of those little areas. And, and as you said, there are lots of things. to do.
1: And I think there are so many things like that. I think there are so many things. You know, if people are going, oh, you know, I really wish I was happier, but they complain about everything. You know, there is a habitual change that needs to happen of just trying to go, well, okay, so you could go, okay, so this stuff's being crap, but actually what things haven't been, you know, what things have been slightly less crap, what's been, you know, it doesn't have to be rubbish and amazing, but just, you know, starting to actually, so, so, so you know, the whole will it make the boat go faster question, people might have the goal of fulfillment or happiness or whatever, and then complain about everything, and you go, the two are not aligned. And it's not just about having the goal, it's about actually doing the stuff that gives you a chance of achieving it. Actually changing a habit to start noticing the good things in life, noticing where someone smiles, noticing the ray of light coming in through the window, the butterfly in the garden, I don't know, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, as I said, I was doing a bit of digging in the dark, so I spoke to josh from your from your company i wanted to get a bit of an inside track into the ben hunt davis i don't know so you said earlier right about in terms of your business okay so that's one of your boats now and i think for a lot of people business is just bottom line isn't it well you see that in the news a lot particularly the sort of big the big businesses without chastising them that's just a habitual way that people think and behave and think is the norm just the same in the same way that someone who's complaining in many cases it's just a habit right but i know for your company that actually having that impact on the people who you work alongside is really important and uh, he actually told me a story lovely guy josh definitely want to hang on to him um
1: well i'll actually hear what he says and then then i'll decide <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: well so and he said that he gave me this nice example he said i think you've been in america or somewhere like that and you've flown back but you still take the time to go around, no matter how tired you are, there could be an excuse when you're tired to be grumpy. And I know that speaking from experience, but you still take the time to go around and check in on everyone that you're doing. So to what degree then are behaviours like that, conscious decisions that perhaps have become automatic, that again, relate back to this kind of, will it make this particular boat go faster?
1: So when I set up, will have made the bogo fast with um tom barry uh we set it up together 10 11 11 years ago we we talked about having a business that we could be proud of and we then kind of went about kind of defining that and and we've had three we and within the business we've got three sets of goals that have been the numbers change but the kind of three basic principles haven't changed for a long time one is we want to We talk about making a difference. We want to do stuff that actually is worthwhile, is good, is, you know, makes a difference to people. Uh, we got some financial numbers um, and then we've got, we talk about enjoying our lives and we want people to actually really enjoy being part of the company. And we, if we make shed loads of profit and people are unhappy, then I think we've lost. If we make shed loads of money, you know, the clients think we're great and people are unhappy, then we've lost. People in wanting to be part of the business is really, really important to me. It's really important. And, um, and so we focus on it. We put time and energy into making sure that we behave in a certain way. And, and you know, yeah, we go and have team outings. Uh, last week, week before last, we went and had a picnic in the park, which was a really nice day, of just catching up. So we do that sort of stuff. But also on the day-to-day, we try and treat each other properly you know we try and treat people fairly and well we try and say thank you for doing stuff we try and you know i want people to finish the day feeling appreciated and as though they've done a good job and you know you can argue that oh well you know if people stay it you know it's cheaper you know if you're always losing people it's you know that there are yes there are financial things in it as well yeah sure but actually i just think i think i care more about people than i do Profit. I, I mean, I've got a mortgage to pay, so I, I definitely want to keep earning money. I'm not saying money isn't important, but I think people are really, really important. So, therefore, we try and treat, treat people in a certain way.
0: Yeah, and doing that even when someone might have an excuse for feeling grumpy, i.e., lack of sleep. You've got the red eye of from New York, that kind of thing. It's doing these kind of things even when.
1: Yeah, and we don't get it right the whole time. Yeah, you know, we're only human. We clearly don't get it right the whole time, but. But if it's important, you've got to make an effort. Even when you're going, I've had a shit day, I don't want to write down my gratitude stuff, you make yourself do it. And even when you have you don't want to actually, you know, pick up the phone to somebody at the end of the day and, you know, check in and see how they've been, you do it because that's, so I guess, you know, some of the stuff I've learned from sport is about discipline. You know, there are times where you've just, it's important for anyone. Sometimes you've just got to do the stuff you don't want to do because you've agreed, you've decided it's important. Uh, and the whole will it make the bodo fast isn't how do I feel now? It's about I know what's most important, therefore I'll make decisions on what's most important rather than how I'm feeling now, which means I will pick up the phone and I will, you know, talk to someone and say, you know, how's your day been? Or, you know, thank you so much for doing this for me. Because that's, that is what's important. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Keep coming back in alignment. So the whole... Will it make the boat go faster thing? This constantly coming back to your big goal and what you really want out of life. Obviously for a period, you know, at the back end of your rowing career, culminating with that gold, it was a very purposeful and conscious process. And obviously you talk about it a lot, but has it just become second nature now across the board pretty much?
1: Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, at work, it's very clear. It's very clear what we're trying to do, what we think is important. At home, I, you know, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father, and I, I really do try to make decisions based on that. I clearly get it wrong quite often, but I try and get it right more often than I get it wrong. In in all sorts of areas, I've I've got an idea of what I'm trying to do in different areas and try to make decisions based on that. And you know, clearly, I have weeks or. In appearance, when I'm really ineffective, where I'm not doing what I should be doing, you know, the discipline slips and I'm. But just because I get it wrong some of the time doesn't mean I shouldn't stop trying.
0: No, absolutely not. You mentioned relationships there. And I mean, I think relationships is a really interesting area because the classic way of thinking might be oh, you meet someone and it's happy ever after and it shouldn't require work. You know, you get together and there we go we're, we're off and away and, and it should be smooth sailing yeah but anyone who's any got half a brain realizes that it doesn't tend to work out like that and actually you know relationships i mean back in the i think i'm right in saying this back in the ancient greek days they saw relationships as this wonderful sort of self-mastery tool and actually i think that's a really nice way to approach it but yeah i think so many people don't approach relationships in yeah. that way and so like i think of my wife and i you know we've consciously early on when a few of our, our let's say, less palatable patterns, respectively, started rearing their head, consciously were like, right, we don't want this to get stuck in this rut, as some people do. And so we've consciously worked at it. Whereas I can think of other people I know, and there's no judgment, this is merely an observation, that for example, I remember speaking to a friend of mine a few years ago, and he was having a, a few marital problems. He was like, we can't communicate. And I said, well, why would you not potentially seek a bit of help with that? Speak to a someone who can help you communicate is no we're adults we should know how to do this now to me that's a bit ego stance because actually i bet this guy would be happy spending money on his golf swing and getting <laughs> a bit of coaching on his golf swing yet he wouldn't necessarily seek help for something which is going to be a lot more important and a lot more fundamental to the overarching goal we all have
1: and i think that's you know so this bit about being willing to learn and change is so important i mean if i've got a habit a way of doing stuff that pisses people at home off then why wouldn't I want to change it and just going well it's just the way I am well I mean I, I don't I don't really know I mean I used to be a sportsman that's not the way I am anymore when I was a five-year-old you know I did all sorts of stuff I'm not that way either you know we have the ability to adapt and change and if you know my wife and I you know so often in the evenings with you know with the kids we, we go Oh, you know well you know when we said this or when we did that that didn't work or that did work really well let's try and do more of that and we were both pretty aware of, you know, with the kids, what she was really, really good at, and what I was trying to get better at, and the bits I was really good at, and and, and we, you know, we had so many conversations back then. Well, that didn't work today. How do we do it differently tomorrow? With, you know, whichever child it was, or and also w- with with each other. We go well, you know, if if I'm pissing her off, then why wouldn't I want to do something different? I, you know, love her. I want to, you know, marry her. Why wouldn't I want to? willing to try and change you know the fact that she's unwilling to close cupboard doors and doesn't you know doesn't want to change that i mean that's by the by that's a totally different thing
0: i hear you ben i hear you
1: they've all got hinges (laughs) (laughs) i did actually take a whole lot of them off once but um anyway Sometimes
0: like. drastic <laughs> measures are required. But <laughs> I mean, but to come back to that point, being open to having difficult conversations in relationships in particular, and in business or whatever, it's, it's so fundamental. And then I think it, it gets easier. I remember someone giving in a, a comparison saying that, that particularly in relationships, it's like um, you know, when you start doing this, having these these, let's say, uncomfortable conversations that perhaps you're not used to and certainly not used to together, it needs a lot of propulsion. It's like a, a jet getting out of the uh, Earth's atmosphere. It needs a lot of fuel. But then at a certain point, you'll get through the atmosphere and you sort of sail. Yeah. And it becomes yeah. a lot easier and it becomes second nature. A bit like your, will it make the boat go faster, has become, you, know, you have to consciously do it for a long time and it's just become habitual.
1: Yeah. And uh, within my company, I think we are, we have a pretty good feedback culture in that we're giving each other feedback the whole time. And I think when, and we say to people before they join, we go, this is, this is what we did. You know, we'll have a conversation, we'll have a, in a call or whatever, and then we'll go, right, how do we do? And we will have, you know, we, you know, everyone's got, you know, we banish bursting people, and, you know, we go, right, this is, this is, this is what's working really well. And, and kind of me will go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they join and they go, right, okay, so you actually need it. And we go, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's still bits where, and, you know, I've made some of the relationships in the business that have been difficult is where I haven't actually, we haven't been straightforward about, the relationship and about the way it's working and I keep kicking myself down oh my god I've done it again I haven't but, you know we haven't we've shied away from the difficult conversation which means now it's even harder whereas actually once you get into a rhythm of just being able to talk to each other about what is and what isn't working it just it makes everything going forward so so much easier
0: absolutely yeah
1: and my parents, remember, they both, you know, they were married for 50, whatever years. And they both said they worked on it the whole time.
0: Absolutely. But a lot don't.
1: You know, why? Yeah. Why, why, why would you?
0: Okay. Last couple of things, Ben. Do you think getting clarity on what you really want and then working in the direction of it, taking action in the direction of it, you know, you want to be happy, then don't moan all the time. You've got to do the things that are going to lead to that. Do you think that you can do this kind of thing on your own? Because obviously, with your rowing, you had a whole team and you still have a team around you. do you think this is something someone can master on their own or do you think it needs to be in relationship?
1: I think some people are pretty good at doing stuff by themselves frankly, I'm not. I keep wishing that I was doing more exercise. I keep wishing that all sorts of different things and i you know I've got a goal and I'd then just find excuses and don't do what I wanted to do, and I worked by myself for seven, eight years, and I got worse every single year. It's taken me time to realise that actually, I'm better with other people around, people holding me to account, people who I want to do the right thing for. So, I think trying to do everything by yourself, I think is really hard. So, so some people, you know, some people manage it pretty well. But I think most of us probably need help from different people at different times. And so trying to work out what it is you want to do, talking it through with people. If you're going, oh, I would love to, you know, I wanna, you know, gratitude diary has a really good thing. I mean it's you know, it's not that hard. I should be able to do it, but I never quite I never quite managed to, then you know, who's somebody who can you can actually talk to about it? Who's somebody where, you know, once a week you can go, what were the things you wrote down in your in your gratitude diary? Personally I'm much better when I do stuff with, alongside people. And I think a lot of us are.
0: Yeah. Okay. Last question before I give you a glowing send off. Okay. For someone who feels a bit stuck and a bit adrift and a bit aimless and a bit rudderless, and perhaps they're working really hard, but going backwards and that kind of thing, what would, what would be, you know, just a few words of wisdom that you could share?
1: So there are all sorts of different um, activities you can do where to help you work out actually what's really important to you. So if someone's kind of a bit aimless and going, I don't really know what direction I should be going, I'm not not sure what really motivates me, I'm not, yeah, I'm kind of adrift, then there are so many different, you know, so so you could find a coach to help you, or there are so many different, uh, I'm not talking necessarily about the... um, in Glamour magazine, what motivates you? Type thing, but there are so many kind of decent things out there that you can—I'm sure—you can find online to help you work out actually what's really important. And and then I think you know, spending a bit of time going, so uh, trying trying to trying to work out some some goals and trying to get a bit more granular, you know. And so you know, a layered goals framework. We start with a crazy goal, we go to the, you know concrete goals a control layer, and then you go break it down to the everyday. Whatever you call it, it doesn't matter. But just, you know, what are the steps between, you know, if I want to have more of this, if I want to be more of this, to going, what do I need to do this month or this week or today? And it does take a bit of time. You need to spend a bit of time trying to work it all out. And, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect because it'll change. You know, all plans change. But I think spending a bit of time working out what you want and then, you know, today, what can I do about that today? What are the small decisions? What are the small things I can do to make a bit of progress on it today? rather than just do everything that I've done before.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you said that. Actually, that reminds me of something that Josh said. We were chatting about this and, and he gave a bit of an example of this where he t- told me about an idea that he'd had about something that was about linking aspects of your business up. And it was this wonderful big idea. I thought, oh, that's a great idea. But at the same time, just me thinking about it, I was like, God, but that's kind of an overwhelming big idea. And then he said that you're very good at asking questions. Okay, what would that look like? That kind of thing. To move it from there down. And so he said then that by you asking these questions, okay, what would that look like? And then going from that, this big vision down to to the everyday. And he told me a couple of little things that could start that process off. And all of a sudden in my head, I was feeling less stressed listening to him. I was like, oh God, yeah, that's doable. Well, what a great idea. You know, taking it from this big thing that feels overwhelming and, you know, perhaps makes people procrastinate to, okay, you can do this now, this small little thing now, and perhaps... Can this person help you now? And uh, yeah, I thought that was a really good example.
1: And so for somebody who hasn't got a whole load of support, actually, you know, if anyone looks up the Grow Model, G R O W Model online, it comes up with a set of questions, and it's a really, really good. I can't remember who first. It might have been Whitmore who first came up. I can't remember. Um, it's a really simple. There are you know, there are some that I've got seventy questions, and some I've got ten questions. But it's a really, really simple thing of going, you know, a few questions around the G, you know, what's the goal? What are you trying to do? Kind of, oh, what are you doing at the moment? What's happening? What's the reality? The next bit is kind of go, what are the options you got? You know, what 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 are the different things that are out there? And then the W, actually, what are you going to do? And, and anybody can find it online and, you know, just take themselves through. Or if you want to, you know, sometimes it's good to kind of discuss it with somebody to 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 get you going well so, so you know what does that mean what what was that look like how would you do this what are you doing already what to 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 try and help get a bit of forward direction you know and you know back okay who else can help you who can support you who can hold you accountable
0: yeah and just recognizing that yes if you keep doing the same thing like you did all those years.
1: You're likely to get <laughs> yeah. something pretty uh, similar.
0: Anyway, and then yeah. and then just a the final bit would be, yes, there are lots of res- resources out there. As you said, there's the grow model and there's no better place to start than the book, Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? Not to mention your performance consultancy, which has sprung up off the backside of it. So, you know-
1: Which is also called, Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? Ran out of
0: ideas. (laughs) (laughs) What's the acronym? It's quite a long acronym, but it works.
1: Yeah, the acronym really doesn't work.
0: No, anyway, so there are those resources out there as well. Anyway, listen, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you as I knew it would be. It's always a joy. I said at the start, you're one of my favourite BBC guests. Well, you, you remain so.
1: Well, thank you, Simon. That's really kind of you. It's been, it's been great catching up again. It's been really good.
0: That was Ben Hunt-Davis and I talking about what we can all do to make the boat go faster in any and all areas of life to get to where we really all want to go. As I said at the start, I'll be sharing the best lessons from this conversation on my YouTube channel, links in the bio, along with loads of other conversations and content, including the video of me doing a session of tension release exercises with its founder, last week's guest, David Baselli. Had lots of emails from you about that. In the video, I do tremble like a leaf. So it's really well worth checking out. And the technique is super easy to learn and do. Right, I'll be back with a bite sized episode on Friday. So until then, goodbye.